All right, welcome back to Adventures in Angular. Chuck is not with us today. Unfortunately, he had a headache, but fear not because today we have Subrat. Hello. Armin. Hi, everyone. And also me, Lucas Paganini. So today we're going to talk about something that Armin was very excited. So it is related to the latest versions of NGRX. Armin, would you like to take it from here and give the audience your introduction to the subject? Yeah, sure. Let's start with an overview of kind of like what's new in NGRX. So if you have been and if you have listened to the previous episodes when I was around, we talked a lot about NGRX. So you might know that I'm like a huge fan. I've actually contributed uh, a lot to the documentation. Sadly, not so much to the like source code, but still. So now with Angular undergoing lots of major changes with standalone components and all these functional components going around and functional programming. NGRX is also taking a step to uh, try to kind of reduce the boilerplate code that we write a lot with uh, most of the state management libraries. Especially NGRX is kind of like known for having too much boilerplate. You have reducers, you have selectors, writing actions is kind of tedious and so on. So in the first part, I, I want to talk about the uh, new utilities that they introduced that can help reduce this boilerplate code. Next, I want to talk a bit about the standalone API because now we support standalone components and maybe touch a little bit on what's going to come next. There are some interesting RFCs going on in the NGRX repo. So other exciting things are also coming our way. So maybe we can start with uh, discussing what they have new in terms of writing boilerplate. They have two new interesting features. One is the create action group thing and create features. So let's talk a bit about them. In general, we already had a function that allowed us to create an action. Like in, in the very first versions, action was just any object that had the type property. And of mm -hmm. course, there were lots of different approaches. Like some people wrote classes, some people wrote enums for that. Then some people were just sending strings all around. Then they uh, introduced the create action function, which would take the uh, type of the action and return a function that creates the action that we want to dispatch. So in that way, we can pass the payload parameter or something. And of course, it was uh, really very helpful. They are kind of deprecating the previous syntax that was used. I think in newer versions, no one is already using like other approaches. So we just stick to create action. But create action still kind of has lots of boilerplate. Like if I need to create 10 actions, I need to write create action, create action, create action like 10 times. And uh, also there is this approach that they try to enforce among users that they want you to, uh, when defining an action or when we create the type of the action, they want us to prefix it with the uh, kind of like the feature or the source from where we expect the action to be dispatched, right? Like if it's yeah. a homepage related action, they want in, in square brackets, they want the homepage and the type of the action and so on and so on. So writing this all, all the time, takes a lot of time. And so, I know now, we, yeah. <laughs> so now we have this create action group function and it actually utilizes TypeScript literal types, like when we can use string literals to define types, to create type safe functions from one object the general idea is when we call create action group, we pass an object, we pass the source, which we just name, the, so let's say, for example, the component when we expect this action to be dispatched. And then we can list events uh, like a dictionary. So the keys are going to be just the name, the types of the actions without the source because we already gave the source in the previous argument. 
And then we can, uh, the values are going to be just the props that the that actions are going to expect. So we can do props and some, something is going to be sent as a payload. Or if we don't have props for the action, we can pass empty props. There's also a function called empty props to use with action group. Mm-hmm. So the cool thing about it is that we write action types like normal English words with spaces, no camel case, just like something like a homepage opened or something. But using TypeScript literal types, they it, it returns an object whose keys are those typed names, but in camel case and starting from a like lowercase letter. So, mm-hmm. so the ID knows you have these methods. It's completely type safe. It is inferred from just this key string that we have passed, transformed with TypeScript into just the camel case variant of the type. So we can just call it as a function. And it's really, really helpful. Uh, it reduces both uh, like a lot. Essentially, we just write one create action group per like a feature in our app. We have one reducer, so I will just have one create action group, create all the actions for that reducer and use them there. It returns one object, so I don't need to think whether I should import 10 actions or we should import everything as something and use it that way. All, all those questions are like in the past. And just use it to get one object with all the actions. And the type safety there is really cool. And it, and, and it also is used in the next one. But I want to mention... Yeah, before... Uh, I'm mean, yeah. sorry to interrupt. I have a, I have a question like which yeah. I uh, got in my in my videos as a comment. A lot, lot of people say that. So some people like the props way and some, some people like the factory way. Like the what I meant to say is the like props factory way, which is a yes six way to... Yeah. So is it possible in both the scenario or, or only the props yeah. and props is possible? Uh, essentially, props is just returning a function that is uh, a like props constructor. So we mm-hmm. can just provide that function without using props. We just need to provide the normal signature, like for what is it expecting. So it's not like using implicit or something. You just mm-hmm. write any function. I think it's going to require that that function turns an object. Right? Because mm-hmm. Essentially, that fu- uh, if I remember correctly, I, I, I saw that in the source code, like it works in a way that the props function, it really isn't just returning the object of the props, but it really creates the entire action. Or if you provide another function, it combines what your function has returned with the action type. That that's what it essentially does. Okay. So it will it is it's gonna require that you return an object from that custom like, constructor. But mm-hmm. I think it was the case with create action too. It's not yeah. 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 Yeah, you can definitely do that. Yeah. So I think they have wrapped the create create action inside inside a like a common name and, and some events. Yeah, yeah. They they sort of did that exact thing. I was really interested how, on how they implemented like like transforming mm-hmm. object keys to camel case uh, method names. So I went on to the source code. It's really short, like it's 40 lines and most of it just some absolute magic, but n- not too much either. Like mm-hmm. they are just roll, they create a type, a generic type that accepts a string literal. Then they like break it down and add all the, all the, in like a, a loop using the, like key of, or like key in something in, in, in TypeScript object. And they get those types and then they separately do the JavaScript part of creating it and just, uh, just force the, as unknown as this type that we have created from the object, like they're really sure that it's gonna be the same thing. So essentially, it's like they're kind of bargaining with TypeScript, but TypeScript still like allows it. 
And it's really helpful. It's really interesting to see the advancement of TypeScript as far as how we can map what we want. Because I remember like not too long ago, there were so many things that we had to write a TypeScript code differently than how we would write JavaScript code because we wanted to comply with a TypeScript compiler. And now it becomes much more flexible in a way to allow type safety with even more advanced scenarios. So for the audience that doesn't know what Armin was was mentioning with template literals in the more recent versions of TypeScript, not super recent, but still kind of recent, you can define, just like you can define string and number literals on TypeScript, so you can say the number of this is not just, the type of this is not just a number. It's actually like either one or two. So you can define number literals. TypeScript in, introduced something called template literals. So it is kind of like a string literal, but you have placeholder for variables. So what this allows you to do is, for example, I'm going to bring an example of a technology that I believe most that are listening to this have used before, which is Express.js. The way that you define routes in Express.js is by just calling like app.get or .post, and then you pass a string, which is the path for the route that you're going to add a, a handler. And when you need variables in the URL, so you want, for example, slash user slash user ID, you put a column in front of the user ID parameter. And this way, when you get the request, you're going to do request.params, and then you can access the user ID from there. So why am I going back to Express.js? Because with TypeScript template literals, you can now type the way that Express.js constructs those URLs. So now, if you use the latest versions of Express with the latest type definitions, then if you define a route that is slash user slash column user ID, when you access the request dot params, there it is going to be typed as an object that has the user ID property. So how does TypeScript know that the param user ID exists? It is parsing the string that you give to Express.js. So this is the power of template literals. is a way for you to tell TypeScript that the way that we are formatting our strings has a special meaning. So in this particular case that we're talking about NGRX, if you look for the code of it, it will be easier for you to see. But since we are in an audio format uh, content consumption, I'll try to explain it. So the, the function that Armin was introduction, introducing here is called create action group. And when you call this function, you pass an object. And the properties of this object are source, which is the namespace. So for example, before, if you had like, a user's namespace, and then you had a bunch of, of actions related to users, then now you can define users as the string for the source of the when you call create action group. And the other property is called events. And events takes a key value map. So I'm just repeating what Armin said, but just to fixate the content. So when you pass your key value object in the events property, you're not going to pass the keys in camel case you're going to just write them in a capitalized way as you would write a normal text. So let's say that you want to define an action from the namespace users, and the action is create user. So you're going to call create action group, 
The source is going to be users because the module is user. In the events property, you're going to pass a key value object with a property called create user. The way, now this is the magic here, the way that you write create user is not camel case. You're going to type it as you would type a normal a normal text to, to your coworker on Slack. So you're going to type create with an uppercase C space user. And then you're going to define like the properties of this action. But the, the magic here is that what NGRX gives back from as the result, as the return from create action group is a enum. And each property of this enum is a function. And the functions are directly created from the names of the events that you pass. So you're going to get an enum back and you're going to do dot create user. But now you're not going to write create user like create with a, an uppercase C space user. You're just going to write it in camel case format. And this is only possible because of all the magic that TypeScript allows us to do with template literals. And this is what Armin was saying that he was looking at the source code and it was amazingly just 40 lines with probably some hacks here and there, but at the end of the day, it works magically. So this is the abstraction that we're getting from NGRX. Yeah, I had the, this is a really good example. I don't to write it. I had a smaller like use case, but where I couldn't fit this template types mm -hmm. really neatly. I had a function that could, I don't remember like exactly, but it could change some style value related to size, like in pixels or percents or something. So it needed to get a string rather than a number. But what if we wanted to force a specific format of string? Like we need a number that is suffixed with either percent sign or px or rem or em or something like that. So we can just define that argument of the function type as like a string. The first place always is going to be number, so any number. And then after that, we're going to give a union type of either string, uh, sorry, about a percent sign of a string or either px of a string and so on and so on. And it, and it will just enforce it. Like we cannot pass another type of string to that. And that sounds really cool. Uh, also, it will warn against passing just strings. Like, for example, if we get some value from a database, like, and we want to like pass it dynamically to change a style of an element with this function, just giving it a string, even if even if it's just a generic string, it doesn't really know doesn't really know if that it violates this contract. It will still uh, give you an error and say it's just a string. Make sure that if you are sure it's okay. Just put like as unknown as this type, so I know that like this this string is gonna be what you cannot make it to be. And it's like really cool. I really love the direction the TypeScript is going now, focusing yeah. on the small dynamic things that have really big impact. Without the things that we mentioned, having something like create action group wouldn't be possible. We have, we would have to like yeah. give the literal names. Mm -hmm. uh, so essentially, TypeScript is not JavaScript in the sense that they, when they release a new version of TypeScript, it means like nothing for JavaScript because it's, it's TypeScript. So, but mm -hmm. in these cases, we just see that with advancement of TypeScript, JavaScript libraries also go forward writing better code in that sense. I think what I saw like in as a trend, first it came to TypeScript and slowly they adapt in JavaScript as well. There is yeah, there there is even a suggestion in TC39 to add optional types to JavaScript, not in the sense mm -hmm. that like 
have really type checking, but allowing type annotation in GS code, which would be like if they get it, it would be enormous for TypeScript because now we will get way less like build times because TypeScript won't go around the app, app, app removing mm-hmm. all the type annotations. And it would be better for like source maps, it would be also smaller. They can easier like debugging TypeScript code, especially in a newer browser, would be mm-hmm. way easier. It's just it would be almost like a one-to-one relationship between like source code PS and resulting JavaScript. And if if they have that, that, that that's gonna be really cool. And it will make converting to TypeScript even easier. You can just leave if you add something in a if you have a JS file, you convert something to it to TS. And you get a bunch of errors. You don't really want to suppress them. You want to work on it, then maybe come back later. So you can just work on, on it as a TS file, add some annotations, change it back to JS. Okay, it now works in the browser. You don't have errors. Then you come back later, change it to TS again, get the errors, try to fix them. So yeah, it's really going to be great for TypeScript if this goes through. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I am already spoiled by TypeScript. <laughs> like... <laughs> Even if I'm writing JavaScript code, because for whatever reason, I'm just hacking a little thing real quick. So I don't want to create the entire environment of compiling TypeScript. So let's say that I'm just writing something real quick. As soon as it gets to like 40 lines of code, I'm already going to start adding type annotations. And the way that I do that right now is using JSDoc. So I just write JSDoc comments on JavaScript files. And if you use a very specific syntax, VS Code supports that. So VS Code understands the type annotations that you're writing in JS doc, and it actually adds the types to the JavaScript variables. Like VS Code can actually understand it, which is amazing. So even when I'm just creating JavaScript, I'm already adding the annotations as comments. So if we get that built-in on the language, it would be awesome. But in any case, we deviate so let's I'm go about back to, to say back to NGRX. Yes, let's get back to NGRX. Armin, what else do you have that's interesting for the audience? Yeah, uh, so the next one is even bigger than like Create Action Group. It's called Create Feature. So let's first understand what's a feature in NGRX. So when we start a basic app with NGRX, we have a root store and we have feature store. The root store mm-hmm. is just one object that has some keys and all those keys are reducers that are correspond to some part of the application. All of those key reducer pairs are actually also features. Like we can plug that piece with create feature selector and work only with that part of the state, which is super useful when we have like different parts interacting and we don't want to get the entire state and write something like state dot name of my feature dot something all the time. So essentially a feature is just a key and reducer pair. Right, mm-hmm. and when we have uh, lazy loading, we can also activate like lazy loading the features. If there is a part of the application that is not present initially, we don't need to run effects for it. Uh, we don't need to have that state that that those pages aren't available yet. So in those modules, or if you are using standalone in in the router paths, we can define a star mo- star module dot for feature instead of for root, and mm-hmm. there we can also provide a key reducer pair, like a string, that's name of the feature, and a reducer. Now, only when the user navigates that page or uh, that component, we will get the feature edit to the root state. 
right? So writing features was just that. With the, the, some people would create an enum. I used to do that. Like I would create an enum with the names of the features so they don't get mixed up. Like if I have a typo in the name, it would be really hard to find. Those are magic strings. Or I don't know, some other approaches, there are some runtime checks that can be activated, but that still doesn't yeah. save all the problems. And also, it's really kind of tedious. You have reducer one in one place. You have to write selectors manually, even if your state is really simple. So what they did is uh, they allow you to just create a feature. You can call create feature. You pass it a name. You write that name only in that place. It will return you the object of the feature. Okay. And the next parameter is you pass a reducer of that feature. And that's it. Now you can just put uh, that feature that the function returned in the star module dot for feature function without the name it has already the name and it just pass it to that function it will be defined but the real big deal here is that besides just creating that feature it also creates the selectors for the state that you provide even if you don't explicitly write the state like if you don't create an interface and pass it as a generic or something inside that reducer you have the first argument is initial state so you pass an object with some keys there Let's say you have orders, users, and I don't know, books, right? Mm -hmm. That feature that has been returned from there now has selectors on it called, like, so let's say if the name is app, uh, if your feature you say, you can say app.select books, app.select orders, app.select. You don't need to write those selectors now. So the selectors for plain selecting items from the object of the state. And I'll provide it for you. And mm. most of the part of the boilerplate like, used to be those functions. Usually you had to write like 10 functions that just select something. They just really would map to one piece of the state object. Then you would write like three custom selectors that combine in a way them. And that was it. So now you can, you can just get those functions for free. If you need some modifications, you need to combine like a bunch of them with some other operation. You can just pass that selector to create selector function and voila you got your selectors in one place so you just write one action group you just write one feature um, maybe some selectors and that's it you got you got a piece of a piece of store because all of them are not really interacting with effects effects are like separate you can you might not even have effects for some parts of your app but these parts are interconnected so you just have them in one place and they even are going to add support of transforming the selectors inside the create feature function. So you can just make it so that you can pass another function to it. In, in, in the next release, they, they're going to add that. You can pass another function that will map your selectors, return the whole object of the selectors that you want. The ones that you need, you can just, you know, spread them using like the spread operator, add some selectors in that object, and that's it. You get one object, it has all the selectors, there's the reducer, you can pass it to the store definition, and you can use it in selecting things in components. Uh, you can easily implement like the VM approach. Sometimes people combine all the selectors of one component into one like view model selector. You can easily do that with this approach. And so in one create feature, we can create multiple uh, name and reducer, right? We can combine like an array or... No, one you don't have feature. one reducer. Uh, the idea of a feature, like it's a bit abstract, like different, even inside the core team, like different members approach differently to what a feature mm -hmm. is. But mm -hmm. essentially, it's a feature is like a piece of state that is really interrelated. So it can be as simple as like you have this page that loads some articles. I don't know. So you have the list, you have a Boolean that represents if it's loading, you have an error object, you have a small reducer that handles it, you have one effect. So that's, that's all a feature. It can be really mm -hmm. small. Actually, it's better if the features are small. If the, the, the yeah. largest part of the boilerplate is like a reducer, mostly. 
if you can reduce uh, the reducer, <laughs> it, it would be really cool. Like you don't need to have like ten thousand cases in one reducer. That's really bad. I used we used to have like in our project a reducer that was one thousand five hundred lines long. Well, I was working yeah. with really different parts. It was a big deal. We broke it down. We created all the selectors. We didn't have create feature back then. If we had, it would have been simpler. We would just mm-hmm. remove those selectors and add the custom ones. But still, you don't. You really don't want to have big reducers. The more granular the state is, I mean, anywhere in the app, the state is still global. You can access anything. You can divide it in as many parts as you want. It's gonna work in the same way from like from like the components perspective. There's just one global store. You can select anything from there. So no problem for the component. Mm-hmm. You don't really care how the store works behind the the hood. And uh, yeah, uh, it also uses that uh, same TypeScript trick as Create Action Group does. It converts the object of your state keys, like orders, groups, uh, items, I don't know, converts it to be select items, select orders, select something. Uh, so it mapped the accent to that name, right? Yeah, yeah, that's what it does. And it's really cool. Like You really get those rights. You don't need to write the boilerplate. You don't need to copy paste anything. You just have it. Just to clarify, suppose I'm writing inside a reducer, there are four on event. So then we then in the selector, you will get four, four state to map, right? From the yeah. feature? No, you mentioned the on function. Mm-hmm. And it's not on about the on some function. Accent. It's about the initial state. Like you can have mm-hmm. a bunch of different on functions. Like they are okay, okay. user handler to something. Mm-hmm. You can modify like one item in seven different. You is the initial state that is being mapped to select. Your, Remap. Okay. If you, have, yeah, if you pass the first argument, it has something around users array or mm-hmm. is loading something. It will create different so like select is loading select users, and you can have anything in your reducer. The reducer syntax hasn't changed at all. Like even when you define the reducer, you just write create reducer and pass it to that reducer yeah. uh, mm-hmm. property on create feature. And Armin, Uh, I'm curious to know how those changes affect the best practices for NGRX, because I'll be honest here, it's been a while since I don't look at the official docs for NGRX, but the last time that I was reading their official docs, they still had the old way of creating selectors and actions and etc. And they even suggested creating tests for selectors. So the best practice would be to create the selectors, create unit tests for the selectors. So it ended up creating really a lot of boilerplate every time that you that you try to create the new NGRX store. So I wonder, now that those things got easier, if they have changed in any way the best practices that they recommend, both in terms of file structure, because there's even a recommended file structure for NGRX, which is creating a file dedicated for the actions, another dedicated for the selectors. So how does that boilerplate reduction affect the best practices recommended by the NGRX team, or it doesn't affect at all? It's a really good question, because actually NGRX, what I love about it is really opinionated, like they try to as you said, they have a recommended folder structure. Like even Angular doesn't really have that have this style guide, but it's not something that, you know, there is a big example of how every Angular app should. But NGR is like, no, 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 create folders for this, that, that you have these, these files. Name the selectors, something like from something, dot select something. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, with these new approaches, it's actually easier for NGRX to enforce those best practices. Like take, for example, the action, they call it the action hygiene approach, uh, like adding the source of action to the type. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the basic idea is that you always know where this action originated from. And you can see it in the store dev tool if you use something like that. So there's really no way of enforcing that best practice, right? The users of NGRX can just skip the source. And then they will go around like scratching their head, well, which is the source of this one, which is the source of that. And it's really hard to find and then refactor that. We've gone through that. <laughs> I don't know about those guys. But now if you create create action group, it just, it just forces you to provide the source of the action. So you don't even need to know about like that best practice. You just get a source on it because it, it requires you to pass it. Uh, kind of same goes with the selectors on create feature. So selectors are just functions, right? We can we can even just skip create selector, like the factory function, to just write a function to select something from the NGRX store. But there is this approach that you need to prefix your selector with the word select. Like if you're selecting books, the selector should be called select books. Not books, mm-hmm. not some books, not books from store. Just select whatever you are selecting. At first, I actually wrote the documentation page for that the best, like they have the SWINT rules there. There, they have a rule that enforces this. So I didn't like it because it, when you were select, actually selecting something from the store, you get this repetition of like this store select, select books, select, select. So I didn't like it, but I, I, I kind of get uh, why they're doing in that way yeah. because the components aren't like the only place where you use selectors. You use it in unit tests, how you're going to see in the code that this is a selector and this is just maybe another function if they're all called the same. Or maybe you have, you are writing unit tests. Maybe you called your selector books. Now you want to create a, a mock array to like uh, test that you're, you're going to go call that array books. Now you have a problem, right? So just call it select whatever you are selecting. But previously, again, no way to enforce it. You can use the SLink plugin, but I'm sure now everyone is doing that. And it is also in the kind of a relaxed part of the. Uh, rules so usually it installs the recommended setting and that rule doesn't get inside because most of people are already messing it up so they're not very strict with that and no way to enforce that but now create feature already creates those uh, selectors uh, prefixes now with select this like that so yeah adhering to best practice just got easier you don't, you don't need to do anything and you're creating your selector names for you just provide your state or whatever gotcha. you know? so, yeah and, and also yeah you know less code means less potential for having bad code it's a really less is always good. Yeah, mostly like in ninety five percent. Sometimes I <laughs> yeah. I want something to be like more explicit, but mm-hmm. I don't like like magic manipulations. There's like you can use what I suggest to anyone who is using NGRX, especially for reducers. Like you, you really need to use NGRX Emer. It's if you are familiar with Emer.js, so Emer.js allows you to write code in imperative style, modifying an object. But instead mm-hmm. of actually modifying the object you are working with, it's going to return a copy the same way that you need in, let's say, a reducer, right? So mm-hmm. in a reducer, if you want to change something that is deeply nested, you need to go like copy the state, copy this field, copy that nested field, copy that nested field, find something in an array maybe. Uh, but with ImmerJS, you can just write like state dot, I don't know, books index dot something equals to something. It gives you an emer on function that works the same as the on function, but it, it, it works with emer under the hood. But that's also a big improvement that like, you can do with reducers. We have way less code, but we're way more readable. Especially if you are doing complex like things with the data, 
like the, your backend is sending something that is ugly, you need to change it so that it fits with the component, you are doing some manipulation, nasty objects. Usually you already have this kind of application when you uh, use NGRX, right? Yeah. So now with reducers, you will have to write lo lots of code, which is just copying, 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 copying an object to find this, this one nasty thing that you're going to change. So I always suggest yeah. to use like NGRX, it really, really makes it easy to work the same way you just write less code, it's, it's imperative, and in those positions, it's more understandable. Like, you literally see what you're changing on the state. I have you a question for you, Armin. Okay. You were mentioning Emer. As soon as you said Emer, you touched a pain point for me. So I want your opinion on this. It's a little bit out of topic, but since we're talking about Emer, I really liked the idea of Emer, especially when it was rising, because... When it was rising, Immutable.js was dead for a while now, so the community needed a replacement, and Emer came to the rescue to provide this, this replacement. But I truly never felt very comfortable using it in production with a team of developers. Not, the problem wasn't production, but using it with a team of developers because it seems so magical that when it doesn't work, you can get easily frustrated because it does have some very specific particularities, especially when you're talking about object instances. So when it needs to replicate another object instance, it's not such an easy fit to do with the magic interface that Emer provides. And then as soon as I was, as soon as I was getting more and more concerned about that, and about maybe some coworkers having trouble understanding when it fails and when it works, then Immutable.js came back. So that actually put me in a position of questioning if Emer is still the best option, knowing that Immutable.js has come back and it is now consistently being updated and supported by not just a single person, but a group of people. So it seems that we don't have the risk of the same thing happening again and immutable JS getting stuck for a long time. So now that we have this comeback for immutable JS and knowing that Emer provides this magical interface that people could be confused, do you still believe your own team Emer and not the team immutable JS? And if so, why? So maybe I'm going to be a bit biased because I'm not really using Mutable.js, but like, so there's two answers to this. One is from the general perspective and one is from the NGRX perspective. So from the NGRX perspective, our main like frustration with Emer is that you cannot like Emer an instance of a class. You need to modify that class. There is this symbol, you add Emerable, true, something, something, there are workarounds, but it is all ugly. But the thing is, NGRX already doesn't allow you to have class instances in as part of state. You can't have methods on state. It's gonna, you only can provide serializable data. If your data is not serializable, it's gonna throw away all the methods. It's gonna have, it's gonna throw away anything that cannot be served, like a file instance, or a file reader, or something, something the other. It's gonna plain the, 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 keep the plain data. So from NGRX perspective, you already have this tool which works with Emer. You don't really need to think about anything because you couldn't have used whatever Emer is not providing anyway. So if you just want, if you just want Emer for NGRX, 
you are really cool just using NGRX in your package. It was created by Tim Dershriver. He's from the core team of NGRX, so it's not like a third-party, really third-party thing. It's not integrated directly into NGRX, but maybe one day. Yeah, the ESLint rule package was also used to be a separate one, then we integrated it in the main packages. So maybe in the future it will just be in the core or maybe some helper library that they will roll out. So yeah, from NGRX perspective, you already have a tool that just writes reducers in an email way. If you use immutable JS, you're going to write the reducer if you used to, but call immutable JS, you're going to have a callback in a callback. You get the same thing that you yeah. already get as usual in NGRX Emer. But in general, well, sure, if you look at it that way, uh, of course, Emer has a shortcoming. Like, you can't work with class instances. Although I don't really like OP. For me, Emer is a way that allows to write simpler functional code. And in that scenario, I don't need to have classes. Like It's okay if I have occasionally, maybe. If you're not like a purist, oh no, this is a class. Like everyone in the mm-hmm. React is going. Like they, they killed class components so fast. At work, I sometimes do interviews for also React position. I used to do a bit of React in 2018 or something, specifically like React Native. And it was the dawn of hooks and functional really components. Now they just murdered the class components. The community yeah. murdered them. Uh, even if the team is saying, no, you know, class components are okay. Big logic. Just use class components. They are more predictable than this hooks and so on. But no, they just murdered it. So if you're not a purist, yeah, maybe, okay, you're going to have some, I don't know, classes in a code base that's mainly using functional programming. But if you're really using functional programming, you're not going to write class-based components, for example. And you sure as hell is not going to write classes for models, right? Like your data objects. If you write classes for them, you are doomed to just use... The, if you write like state modification logic in, in a class for some model, why even have like that logic in, in a reducer, for example? You just can't call that uh, and get... Uh, we use class approaches in our app together with like NGRX. We're not like completely out of OP and everything. But in when we want to have classes that can also exist on the state, what is our approach in general? Like we write a class that represents something that we're going to send to the server, something like the user model. We usually make sure to implement an inter- interface. One of the functions that we're going to implement is the one that serializes that. So it returns the serialized version. We're not delegating into NGRX to avoid any problems. And another function we create uh, is a static method that would uh, create this class, but uh, not serialize it. So we can create it from some value, for example, from a form value, like the reactive form. We create this instance from the form, the logic of handling that is encapsulated in the model. And when we really want to uh, send it to NGRX, like to handle an effect, or just, we call the serialized uh, method on it. So we're just sending plain data. Anyway, we couldn't we couldn't send a method there. Anyway, we cannot send a method to... Uh, you're just going to be careful with the selectors, but you can really provide the type in a way that users don't get confused and think that, oh, you know, this is the kind of like the instance of that model. I'm going to call this method, but this method doesn't exist because it's just the values of the properties, mm-hmm. not the method. But yeah, I don't really see... I think if you if you want to do something with Emer with a class, maybe something is, is, is kind of wrong in that code. Maybe if you don't really want that. You still can do that. You can add the Emerable true to the class and it will handle it. Gotcha. It still has problems. Mm-hmm. It's not like, mm-hmm. don't do it ideally. 
I think if you have like a file object on your device instance, it, it's not going to work that way. I think. Perfect. I love your answer. It was very on point. Thank you, Arme. Like the context that you gave about, well, if you're using NGRX, then you're not using class instances, so there's no problem. And also, if you're in a code base that prefers functional programming, then you also don't have problems with that. So yes, this does make a lot of sense. Yeah, you Thank you. Yes, yeah, you're welcome. Uh, yeah. It's, it's really justifiable. Let's talk also a bit about the standalone APIs of yeah. NGRX. It's a, like a simpler topic. So Excellent. of course, Angular already had support for like using old modules with standalone components. We can just open the import providers form, if I remember correctly, the name of the function. But uh, the NGRX team, being the guys they are, <laughs> just released uh, directly the API we can use at the store. So there are functions called provide store. There are functions called like provide effects. Uh, they receive the same argument as the module for root, module for feature method did. So you, you really can just uh, slice away the store module dot for root and just replace it with provide store. And I also have an API with like provide mock store. It's also just a function and the, the, mm -hmm. for testing, obviously. And the funny thing is that you just provide like mock values for uh, what the selectors are going to return. So that's how you work with the components now. Like you don't mock the store really. You mock the selectors. Right, you, you are like your component uses three different selectors. You just write provide mock selectors, selector this and value this. I, I expect this in your test specs. So the standalone APIs uh, also kind of like showcase that Angular grows with Angular. There is some other interesting features are lining up. So now because we have the inject function, if previously we needed to make an instance of a class, right, to write effects, because in effects we usually made calls to methods in other services. So we needed dependence injection there. Like we use uh, pure functions, so we don't need dependence injection there. But the, sorry, like effects, you need some services for dependence injection. So you, you had to use classes. And in reality, it didn't like make a lot of sense because we didn't use classes. Those effects usually are really separated from each other. It's a class that is created just for the sake of dependency injection, right? And it's purely, you just create observables there. Like, why, why do you need classes for this? But now that we have the inject function, NGRX is going to allow, uh, it's, it's not still, uh, it's still in a discussion, but most probably it will go through soon. They have, you can just create effects with the create effect function. No, uh, like, no need to write a class. That this effect equals, like, on something equals create effect. Like right. export as a, as a variable, you can export that as a variable yeah, yeah. and use that. Yeah, uh, and you can just import. You don't need to import this effect separately. You can just import everything from this effect file, pass it to provide effects uh, function in a standalone like situation. So this will reduce. This will not really reduce code. Like uh, you would need to inject actions every time in your effect. So I'm kind of split on it. But what you can do, you can write a wrapper around create effect function which already injects the like, create action, sorry, the actions uh, observable and whatever service you want, and pass it as an argument to your callback in create effect. So now you will just have them in the argument, right? You can pass them as an object, so you can optionally pick which ones you need for a particular effect, and just use it. So it may be a bit of increase in the amount of like symbols you write, but maybe the length of course will get less. I don't know. But it still feels way more functional. And effects also, they're also functions that just work with observable. They aren't really anything related to OP 
the state that you have on the effect class, you don't really have state on it. You just define effects. You don't really write some other properties and use them in the effect. Like I've never seen anything like that. You don't really need a class there. You just use a class for dependency injection. Now you can just digit pass, uh, write a wrapper, and pass uh, it to uh, arguments to the callback you're going to use and just create effect in the way that you uh, want the same way in previous, like the code of those effects are not going to change. You can just convert the effects that you have to that. Anyway, it's still not released, but I think it's gotta be. Discussion went really well on the RFC. Maybe in the next version, or we'll probably see something like that. Yeah, that's kind of like. So I'm. Mean, I have a question about the uh, standalone component. So in the standalone component, you told like we can just in the provider we can write provide state or provide. So how Angular will going to handle like previously, if you provide something on a component, the the state of that will stay to that component. Like, so it, will it be the state, global state will be provided to the same component or say similar state will be created Where, on yeah, the fly? Uh, uh, I actually ran into that when I tried to provide it in my root component. You don't provide it in the root component. You actually, mm-hmm. what you do, you provide it on the uh, bootstrap uh, application. Uh, that's what uh, the, the, the function in main.ts when we use this handler. You can provide mm-hmm. also there. You provide the root store there. And the funny thing is that you provide feature stores in the routers. Like in the routes, mm-hmm. you have this maybe lazy loaded component. It has also a feature. You can just add providers there. Angular like allows it starting from uh, version 15. Mm-hmm. You can just mm-hmm. edit on lazy loading and say, oh, provide this feature state for only these routes. You don't, you never write anything about the store in, in, in your standalone component. You just write inject store and that's it. Mm-hmm. And no need to import there. It just it's a global thing. Okay. It's okay, like to put it in the Bootstrap application function. Mm-hmm. Uh, Going back to what you said, Subret, about before, if you provided something in the component level, it was only available to the component and to the child elements and components for that yeah. component. So the way that I see the changes that standalone APIs made to the dependency injection system is this way. I look at standalone components and I just imagine that they now have the same functionalities and responsibilities that the ng modules that used to define them, that used to declare them have. So um, I see it as like, if I am providing something in a standalone component, it would be the same thing as if it weren't a standalone component and I was p- providing that in the in an ng module that only imports and declares that specific component. So mm-hmm. um, the same thing applies for the routes. So instead of you having a module for each specific route, you can have functional APIs for the routes, and then the providers that would be in the route module, in that feature route module, they now go directly to the functions that you define with um, when you define your routes using the functional API. So I don't know if that helps, but this is the mind the mind map that I have, how I I connect the new ways of dependency, using dependency injection with those functional APIs and standalone APIs, how I connect that from the legacy way of doing that. You know, what's interesting is that, uh, you know, some people are like complaining online about you are making Angular to look more like React. Yeah, and I kind of get that, but what I disagree with is that you know when I when I use like functional components in React with hooks and everything, it looks so beautiful. Like explaining it would be really easy, 
right? If you have just, oh, use state, this is the variable, this is the function that sets it, and this is some HTML, and that, that beautiful use effect does side effects, and so on and so on. And obviously, Angular doesn't have that. You have class, you have the injection, and it's, it's really hard to like uh, explain dependency injection to a newcomer. Like, what is dependency injection? What is dependency, especially if they come from a React background, like they don't really aren't into OP too much. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, actually, the problem that people have with React is not how it is it, how React is written, but how it works with like rendering, how it works under the hood. Like the big problem that React faces, and and don't get me wrong, I'm not like dissing React. It's still a, a great like framework that people use. It's not library framework. I'm not gonna be yeah. on that, but I uh, think we can. This is Angular podcast, so we can dish yeah. React. Yeah. <laughs> no, uh, I enjoy how React is written. When I write React components, sometimes it's so cool, like the functional way and everything. But the problem is how it handles uh, like the re-renders and everything. So. What they did was like they it's really lightweight. So oh, you want to uh, handle some events from the child component in the parent? You know what? The simplest approach: just pass a callback to the child component as prof, mm-hmm. right? Like it works. It's it's a really legitimate way to do that. But when they switch to functional components from class-based components, what they discover, like uh, not really discovered, how the components work is that every time you call something like use state or something in use effect calls use state. It will just call this that function you are in and get the new template because your function is returning the JSX template, right? And now you've got a problem. If you're creating a callback and passing it to the child component, every time you use you call use state, uh, you will ha- have a new reference to that same function. And when you pass it to the ch- child component, it's gonna re-render all the way through because now it's oh you know my props changed. I've got to re-render. There is no way like uh, React will know that it shouldn't re-render. There is a reference check. Mm-hmm. It only does shallow checking. Reference changed. Yeah, you got to have rendered. So how they approach this, they created this hook called use callback, right? So you provide the callback to it as an argument. Now, every time that your function is called, uh, it will return the same reference. It will memoize it, right? Every time you have a re-render, it will bring the, the old one and uh, pass it. So now you don't have re-rendered. But now you have another problem. What if your callback uses some state inside it that has changed from like a re-render to re-render, right? For example, you have a counter and somehow on every render it increments, but you are using like doing console log counter in that callback. Uh, it's going to stay the same. You're going to have the, the old reference to the function. So now they also introduce like a second argument where you have uh, a list of dependencies. It's not bad. Like it's a normal solution, but it's really hard to explain to someone. I guess, like, why are we doing this that way? What's the issue? What are those dependencies when you should do it? And Angular, you just have an event emitter. It sends a synthetic event. You don't have a rendering problem like with the, if the parent component re-renders, isn't guaranteed that the child will re-render even if like the function is the same, it just sends you an event. So they inversed it, kind of like, you're not sending a handler from parent to child, you're getting an event from child to parent, which Kind of like makes more sense and introduces less problems. So what I really like with this new APIs and everything in Angular is they're introducing like how we write code in React, but not how it works under the hood. Essentially under the hood, nothing yeah. changed. Like the same engine is rendering the components. It's just that you call a function instead of writing an engine module class. That's not really a difference. Everything works the same way. You just now can add imports to a standalone uh, component. And that's it. Which I think personally is an improvement. I don't like the implicit import import pattern. 
I was okay with modules. Modules was a very good way of like dividing. Oh, this is the users module. This is the blah 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 module. But what was bad for me in the modules is that like you implicitly import everything that is in the module. Like if you are in a component, which has this big HTML file. You see some component. Oh, where is this component? Which one was from? Where is it imported? You gotta add some VS Code plugins so you can just click on it and go there. And and it's like if I read a component, only the class, you have really no idea what the component is using because everything is essentially in the template, right? That's what I didn't like about modules, and I like it about how you can explicitly import whatever you need. Uh, I think we can like agree, uh, maybe. Maybe you import the common module in the root, in the bootstrap application, so you get the ng from everything that is built in. Everything else just imports uh, in the imports array. I even, I tried making a, like a pet project on the side and like using standalone. I also used only inline templates. It's kind of like works even mm-hmm. better. It kind of forces you to like write smaller components, which is also one advantage that React has. In React, people tend to write smaller components because it's really easy to define a component. You just write a function with props. That's it. That's your component. Now with standalone, it's a bit easier to do the same in Angular. You can write a class with an input, inline template. Okay, you've got yourself a component that works with anything. Or maybe you can add the like change detection on boot and so on. So yeah, that's the way that the code is written there. But under the hood, it's really the same. So we are not introducing the problems from React. We're just getting mm. like the code. And I think the beauty of beauty of it is like now you can use both. So wherever we need ng module and and that combine them, so it's like act as a module, and inside that you can use standalone components. So where I feel it most useful is most of the Angular project I see is, is bigger project where multiple teams are working. They have individual modules of them, so they can use that ng module to export their modules. But inside that inside the ng module, they can create different standalone component and import them to the module. And so that that's a like very good approach, like to exporting your standalone module as a standalone component as a combined module, and so that other can use. Totally. So like oh. the way Angular is going, I think it's liking like previously the problem for Angular was the change detection was slow. Like the, I'm saying of the initial days and the you know, how they're re-rendering. Then the IV came like on IV. It's a very like very high improvement on, on bundle size and uh, everything now they are reducing that and change detection is also improving so the most amazing thing i've seen with like these new things was that someone managed to use like angular services like http client in a react app with the inject function <laughs> you can create an injection context outside of a component or something you don't need an angular component don't need a decorator you can just create an injection context because so if you like look really deep at it, injection context is just like an object that has all your like, mm-hmm. provided dependencies, right? So you can create it, you can pass it to create injector, or I don't remember quite how the function was called, obviously don't use it on a daily basis. Like. And then you provide there like the HTTP client from Angular in a React app. Then in a uh, React component, just call inject HTTP client and you will get the reference to the Angular HTTP client. It's like amazing. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's really decoupled from each other. You don't need like Angular Core. Uh, sorry, you, you need Angular core, core plus Angular like common to do something like this. You can actually import like the, the reactive forms, maybe write a wrapper around them and use them in React. 
How cool is that? <laughs> wow, that's so cool. Uh, it, it's that's still, so cool. Uh, that rapper I mentioned is still gonna be a lot of work, but you can mm-hmm. really make it. I, I'm not suggesting anyone to do that, obviously, but like you can do that. And it's, it's just the fact that you can do already yeah. tells a lot about how isolated it is. So yeah. it's not about do it. It's just it's so isolated that you could do this if you wanted, which is awesome. And just to go back one step, um, we are already been talking about this for a, a little while now, so maybe we're going to close this huh. uh, the subject. But yeah. one thing that I'd like to say is, Armin, you were saying that some people were complaining that Angular is going to the direction that React is going, so it's looking more and more like React code. I would just correct that, and to anyone who thinks that, I would say, I don't think Angular is going in the same direction. It is looking at React and going in the direction that React is going. I think that Angular is going in the direction that functional programming leads to. And it just so happens that React went into that route before. So it looks as if we are getting ideas from React, which might as well be true because why not? If they were already testing React, we already have community opinions about them and we can make it in a different way that solves the issues that React had, then why not? But I am extremely thrilled that we are going to the direction of functional programming. I so hope that in the future, we I really hope that we will be able to create components in Angular and like create an entire application in Angular without classes. That would be awesome. And also without all the issues that React has with functional components, like the ones that you were describing. So if we could have a functional API for everything in Angular without the problems that React had, then I would be super down for it. Two things. They are introducing, I think they are more uh, like looking at SolidJS or something like that rather than React. Well, SolidJS already uses Mm. like JS and stuff. But now they uh, are yeah, in the next says, release. They are introducing uh, self-closing tags in Angular templates for components. Uh, if you haven't seen that, like if you have app uh, dash, I don't know something something, you don't need to put a closing tag now in a template starting from version 15.1, I think. And another thing that Minko uh, had announced on Twitter is that they're gonna roll an experimental support for signals from Solid. Right, like we can use them. And now they are also giving a um, kind of like a way to safely detach components from change detection cycle. So, in, so signal is like a, a reactive primitive, right? And it, it notifies when, itself like when it's changed. So if you use signals, you don't need change detection because it notifies about itself, right? And you don't even need to write the async pipe. You just need to call it as a function, which I kind of don't like, but it's just, you know, visuals. But under the hood, you can just ditch Vangias. Of course, it's going to be experimental, but... Lots of things that are now our current reality have been experimental like two versions ago and Angular is pretty bound on like introducing lots of cool things. Maybe the community will love it. And like the standalones were experimental like in release 14, but everyone was super excited. Now it's stable. Or maybe something like this will happen in version 16. We'll get version 16, I think, around summer, right? Or maybe earlier in the spring. So I was about to tell like, I'm just waiting when JS will be optional. So as a tool. Yeah. So that will well, be a good good thing. Like you can kind of make ZoneJS optional right now. Yeah, make uh, yeah, like just digital. But you need to do a lot of codes yeah, ourselves. Yeah. 
lots of you know mark for check check or something D- like detect changes. Yeah, you can yeah. do something like that. But you know, of course, it would be better. To like if I if I remember, like Armin, with you, we had a podcast of using proxy, and yeah. inside that, you right. Yeah. So that if we are using that approach, then then it, we can ditch June JS well, for now. Yeah, but it kind of have its own downsides, like. You can't really write a function that ideally works from the outside. You need to change something inside how Angular works. Mm-hmm. Only Angular code that. But yeah, it's one approach that you can adopt. Like you, know, you can do like a function that creates signals. Okay, will work the same way. Uh, it will be just you can then wrap it around a proxy or something. You can do that. So still write like in an imperative way if you like that about yeah. uh, Angular. Nice. Yeah. So so it's doable. Uh, definitely it's been uh you know it's been uh, a while that like in the community uh, there's lots of even in the internal chats they talk about like, on js it's not like it's amazing still that like if you take a look at how change detection angular works it's like uh on the surface if you just look at how it's composed and structured it's like a train wreck like you just check all the async events you then go around check this check that go for the component tree and it seems like a really horrible way of handling it but they have managed to optimize it in the way that you still have really performant apps of course if you ditch it and find a better approach obviously you get better but still mm-hmm. angular is very usable with this change detection approach that they have and it really sounds like a hack like you plug into all async events and check if something gets changed check if something something gets changed imagine like using like constant http calls instead of sockets like uh, asking, asking mm-hmm. the server, has anything changed? Has anything changed? It's, it's actually <laughs> the same approach with Zongs and stuff, but they they really did lots of hard work on it to optimize it. So even if they never get rid of Zongs, I'm kind of okay with that. It's just cool that it's kind of possible. Um, Armin and Subred, do you have anything particular that you'd like to bring up before we start closing things up? I think let's close. Let yes. Just do the. Okay. Um, before picks, let's do the self promotion part. So we're doing this before picks. So, Subrat, what are you working on that you'd like to? Yeah. So I will just try to extend the podcast uh, theme to uh, as you discuss about standalone components. So I have recently released a video on standalone components. So it's the, just the basic of it how you'll create and how you'll use. So they'll follow video will come and I will try to integrate NGRX uh, with it as well. So please go ahead and watch that. Give give some comment and please subscribe. Nice. Uh, nice. To the channel. You you already have this video published? Okay. Yes. We can put this on the video. I think so it will be like. Yes, we can put this on the getting, show notes and I'll definitely yeah, go there. Check out. This seems really, really mm-hmm. interesting. What about you, Armin? I don't think I'm working on anything in particular right now in the like uh, writing or creating something. I am writing. I had two articles on NGRX use cases. I'm kind of trying to write the third one. It's going to have like interesting things on like undo and redo functionality with NGRX, how to do state hydration from local storage, from so on and so on. So yeah, if you have uh, read the previous articles, it's kind of like the same idea, just different use cases. But I guess it's going to be around like two or three weeks because I'm still writing an example project for the article. I haven't started the actual article yet, but yeah, I don't know. Nice. That, that's it, I think. Uh, okay, right now. awesome. 
to me is the same as last time. So I will be hammering on the subject for a while <laughs> until I, I finally release this course. But I am currently building a course on web animations. It is looking really good. We already have some videos ready. It's still in alpha stage. So only some selected alpha users have access to the course for now. But I'm really, really happy as how things are going. So the idea is not just to give you some examples, not just let's go this animation, let's go that animation. That's cool, like showing you how to do things in practice. But what I believe to be most valuable is teaching the mental models and the deep concepts and the technologies and how they work so that if you have a solid understanding of the technologies that allow you to execute web animations and if you understand those technologies and the mental model, then you can create any animations that you want. You don't need to look on the internet for examples that are super close to your particular case. You already know, you already know all the tools and you already know how to use them. So you can craft whatever you want, which is the thing that is gonna take you to the next level in the sense of motion design and web animation. So I'm really happy with how things are going. If you want to check out the waiting list for the course is open. You can join it at lucaspaganini.com slash web animations. If you join the waiting list, you will get a significant discount when the course is launched. Other than that, of course, I'm always promoting my company. So we are specialized in Angular. We are specialized in functional programming, which are things that we talked a lot here today, are topics that are very uh, deep into my personal interests and also the interests of all the employees for my company. So if you are looking for, for experts in Angular and functional programming, either to extend your team or to execute a project entirely, then you can check out unvoid.com to get in touch with us and see what we can do for you. All right, so that's enough. We're trying to make you spend money with us. So what about picks, Subaret? Do you have any picks? Yeah, so this time I think I, I am almost two months or mostly three months away from India. So now I'm start, started craving of some Indian foods. <laughs> so I'll just pick them. Like I love chicken biryani, but I love there is a place called Paradise Biryani. I think it's pretty famous. It was near to my house. So I always used to order or go there and eat. So I just like to pick that. If anyone haven't has Paradise Biryani or any chicken biryani that matters, please order it from your any Indian store and have it. But yeah, but here in Amsterdam, I had biryani, but it's not like but like in India, but at least like far away from home, still we have biryani or some something related to India that feels feels good. Like I think once a month, I would like to have some something like that. It feels like I'm I'm not lost. Oh, I somewhere. definitely needed something like that when I traveled to Europe. So I couldn't find a single Brazilian restaurant. I was so craving my hometown food. I know how that is, man. Nice, nice pick. How about you, Armin? Yeah, uh, we had this episode like scheduled a while ago, I think last month. And during the New York break, I was watching 1899 on Netflix and thought, oh, you know, this is going to be my pick when we do the episode. But then, you know, Netflix canceled it. So my pick is being frustrated with Netflix canceling 1899. <laughs> yeah, I was filming that morning. Like, it was an amazing show. So if you're okay with watching something that's probably going to remain unfinished, 
let's go ahead. It's like great pastime, very intriguing, but I was pretty sure it's going to be an awesome TV show. Like Dark, if you watch Dark, it was the same. The creators of Dark are making 1899, and they were even saying it's more complicated than Dark. It's even more mind-blowing. And uh, the first season kind of was, I guess. But, you know, Netflix canceled it. They say it has low completion rate, like only 40% of viewers finished it. So, you know, they don't... And it's kind of a costly mm-hmm. thing. They have lots of animations. They're actually using, like, the whole powered Unreal Engine 5 for all the special effects and stuff. Nice. It's well, <laughs> to be fair, if you are a fan of Dark, then you probably don't have a problem with unsettled TV series, right? So if you were okay with... Dark, dark it was but it was completely subtle i i think okay it's still it's still really hard uh, it's still really hard to explain yeah. to my mother how everything connects i could understand but still super hard no yeah it's hard to explain uh it's hard to explain it's uh if you understand it it's kind of like the same thing as you get it you get it but it's hard to explain yeah but uh, I think they still did a, did a brilliant job because they had all those things. Because until the very last episode, everything kept growing more mm. and more complicated. And I thought, man, they are really, really going to screw this ending. Like, it's going to be horrible. I, I, when I watched the, the previous episode before the last one, uh, I thought, man, this got even more complicated. There is no way they're going to resolve all this thing, explain it, give a satisfying ending. Like, I was prepared for, like, a train wreck. Like, it's going to be some mystique, something, something that was, yeah. And then they gave us this ending. They they tied everything beautifully, like, the motivations of everyone and how some people, like, exist in the timeline and others don't. You, like, get the whole picture. So, yeah, that they did an amazing job with that. Like, lots of respect. Even if it was kind of even worse than it was, it would still be great because you have, like, this whole interconnected, like timelines, branches, different dimensions, and so on and so on. And people with really different motivations, some of them don't even mm-hmm. really exist. So yeah, they, they really did a cool ending. It explains, and, and it's kind nice. of satisfied, right? It was a bit like bittersweet, like like watching Lord of the Rings or something. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but 1899 yeah it's kind of nice um but not the part about being canceled but i will consider checking it out um my pick is gonna be in the same line but so in this in the line of it is a show from netflix but it's completely different from 1899 so i'd like to pick the mo watch it's a reality show and it's a competition where a group of people, they are trying to complete tasks. And every time they complete the tasks, they can get money to prize pot. And then the only one left at the end is the one that takes all the money. But the thing is, one person in the group is a mole. So which means that it's a person that talks directly to the producers of the show. This person always knows what's about to happen on the day. And this person is always trying to sabotage the operation because the objective of this person is to reduce the amount of money that they can get. So it's really, really interesting because you follow the trajectory of every single challenge of every single person trying to identify who is the mole. And you just think, oh, it's going to be so easy to identify. But 
I made the wrong assumption so many times during the show, and it just got me hooked. It was a very light show. Uh, a thing that you can watch while you're eating is just something that you can watch and just uh, rest your mind while you're watching, which I enjoyed a lot. So definitely recommend The Mo on Netflix. Awesome. Sounds like uh, I can make some Squid Game. That's a great, great definition. Yeah. <laughs> I think they could use that for the description of the show. <laughs> Loved it. Guys, thank you so much for the episode today. Armin, you brought up a lot of interesting changes from the newest versions of NGRX. We also got to talk a lot about functional programming, some of our opinions on the technology surrounding the framework and this paradigm that is rising up in terms of popularity. Thank you so much for all the insights that you brought here today. And I am out. Bye. Bye-bye.